Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're Solution Architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello, my name's Shane Boldashino, and this is episode 62 of the AWS Tech Chat coming at you from Las Vegas for reInvent 2019, covering part two here. And joining me today is Dr. Peter Stansky, our head of technology for Australia and New Zealand. Hey guys, welcome, and uh, it's good to be back on the show. Uh, and yes, this is uh, part two of the multi-part series covering reInvent updates. And uh, Shane, it feels like we've just been talking to each other and just uh, released the first episode in the series like almost a few hours ago. We did. We did. And it's uh, great to see the feedback out there, guys. So thank you very much. Indeed. And uh, thanks to those folks who came and joined you, uh, I think, last night for some drinks at reInvent. Yeah, that was great. Fabulous. Really good to see the audience out there. And look, I love the uh, the reinvent uh, giving season, uh, and we've been doing lots of announcements and recaps in the um, these episodes. Um, and by the way, I wanted to actually kick us off today, perhaps, with the very first announcement for reinvent, which was made by the VP of Artificial Intelligence uh, at Amazon Web Services. That's Dr. Matt Wood. So Matty was talking about uh, uh, and made a cool announcement um, around uh, Deep Composer, and Deep Composer is a thirty-two key, two octave. MIDI-based keyboard designed for developers um, to give them access to generative artificial intelligence. And uh, the idea of generative AI is uh, where AI can actually be more creative and create things from past learnings. So uh, the idea is that um, what you can do is uh, use generative AI in the back end, uh, which takes the music that you play on this keyboard chain uh, and within and under a second, it actually adds backing music. You've got different uh, ways of adjusting it. You can actually have it do rock, pop, jazz, classical, or bring your own models to be able to actually compose that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, as they often say, a picture tells a thousand words. Uh, Shane, let's only queue up uh, what Matt did during the announcement uh, and we'll give you guys a chance to have a listen uh, to some of the keynotes that he played on his uh, decomposer and what this thing produced. Let's check it out. Okay. Just me and 10,000 of my closest friends. No pressure. So I have a Deep Composer uh, keyboard here. And what I'm going to try and do uh, is play a simple melody. We'll send that melody up to the cloud, and we'll generate a complete song. All right. No pressure. Here we go. So let's go ahead and send that to our rock generative model. Uh, in about less than a second, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll generate all of the accompaniments. Uh, so here we have a guitar, bass, synth, and drums. Uh, let's go ahead and have a listen. Not too shabby. 
Oh, wow. How cool is that, Shane? That was really cool. Now, I actually saw this earlier on. I didn't stay up for Midnight Madness on Sunday night, but very, very, very awesome. And look, I've got another little uh, device update I wanted to make. And that's around the AWS Deep Racer Evo, which is a new model uh, of Deep Racer, which is basically the, uh, if you like, uh, the smart card, the drone, if you like, with the camera. Uh, now, what we've done with it is that it comes with. Um, LiDAR, so light detection and ranging sensors, which is uh, pretty cool. Comes with two of those, allowing the car to do object detection on the track and uh, helps you build better machine uh, learning models uh, so that you can actually overtake cars uh, at the finish line. So uh, look out for that uh, in early 2020. Awesome. So, Pete, it is awesome to have you back. You're back, I'm back, and I'm going to tell you I made it just in time. It's been a bit of a hard slog to prepare for today's show. So we're here. There are so many announcements, right? It's crazy. There is so many announcements. We are here to cover the main keynote of reInvent 2019. It was the Jassy show. There's no two ways about it. You know, I finished watching the keynote yesterday before you and I recorded prior to the show in a state of awe. If anyone watched this, right at the start, he said, you know, there's no time to waste here. And before we get into the show, I have to say, you know, we both do a bit of presenting, but to see Andy Jassy on stage is almost like an art, you know, three hours. You can tell he clearly knows his content from seven nanometer, you know, talking about the the fab um, for some of our new chips that we've developed through to changes in S3. So even if technology isn't your thing, there's a certain beauty in his performance, you know, well worth a watch. So my profession of love over. Pete, we have a bit of a dilemma here. We do. We have so many things uh, in the announcement queue that uh, I have no idea how we're going to get through them today. Yesterday was a huge day. And whilst we have some idea of what may be released, the reality is most of this totally impressed us. So the dilemma. The timing of the keynote may not have been, you know, the exact perfect time for everyone around the world to tune in. But do you realize, Pete, how many announcements we made yesterday on day two of reInvent 2019? Look, I wasn't counting too much. Uh, There was a lot. And uh, to be honest, uh, you know, I was taking lots of notes furiously to to, uh, to observe how Andy did his thing because uh, he is definitely a master presenter, and the, the stamina of the guy is just phenomenal. Three hours on stage uh, is just impressive. It is okay. So look, that's my job, or well, maybe not specifically my job to count announcements, but there are some <laughs> face melting stats here. So by counting, and I'm usually pretty accurate. Yesterday on day two of reInvent, we launched 27 new services and/or feature major features. And outside of the reInvent keynote, another 10 got released. And we're not talking minor changes here, but changes that we would normally cover in detail if this was a regular episode of Tech Chat. Let's keep the math simple. If we cover 30 services and or major feature releases for two minutes each, that's one hour. Yeah, look, we can talk fast. And uh, I've been accused of talking extremely fast. But uh, if we do that, you're not going to get much value. Uh, so we're going to have to be a bit more inventive, right? We always talk about uh, innovation. Uh, so Shane, how are we going to innovate the show to make sure we deliver as much value to our listeners as we can? All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to skin the top of these releases today. And there are themes here. You know, there was six SageMaker services as an example. So we're going to do a SageMaker show in the coming weeks. And we're also going to keep the commentary of the event, not the services, to a minimum. Does that sound fair? I think that's pretty good. Uh, Let's kick it off because there's no time like the present. There is no time to spare. So let's crack into it. Pete, I think I called it, you know, like a stock pick gone right. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. And uh, what may you be talking about, Shane? Because I have some ideas, but uh, what do you think... uh, you were right on because uh, being a right a lot is, uh, is, is, a bit of a, is a bit of a virtue. It is, isn't it? Okay. And um, what I was right a lot on is the rise and rise of ARM. 
Ah, yes. Look, you know, we, we've been talking about this for quite a while, right? Um, so last year at reInvent, we released our A1 instances powered by the AWS Graviton custom processors, uh, which is designed and contract manufactured by us and has come out of the acquisition of the Annapurna Labs that are originally based out of Israel. Yeah, so all those uh, Arch 64 architectures. And look, to say A1s have been popular is a bit of an understatement. So we now have a raft of new EC2 instances. Indeed, we have EC2, the M6G, the C6G and the R6D instances powered by the AWS Graviton 2 processors. So uh, FYI, just look for the uh, uh, the suffix at the end of the instance name, like the G, and that indicates it's a Graviton. Yeah, so look, rather than you know being an oddity, they've now come in more flavors. So we've got M, C, and R for all your ARCH64 workloads. These instances, as you mentioned, Pete, are powered by the Generation 2 of Graviton. It delivers up to seven times the performance, four times the number of compute cores, two times larger private caches per core, and five times faster memory compared to the first-generation Graviton processors in the A1. Which is pretty cool. And really, to summarize, what this means is the new ARM-based instances are faster, uh, they're cheaper, uh, and the price-performance ratio has gone up to up to 40% over modern x86 architectures, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. So the M6G instances are now available in preview. Uh, the, uh, the C6G, the M6G, and the R6G instances are and the variants will be generally available in the next few months. Awesome. Yeah, look, I know it was the first of many announcements, but this may be up there with one of my favorite, and I cannot wait to do a bake-off personally with these instances versus, you know, next 86 in the coming months. All right, next, Pete. Let's go. All right, next one was a really close to my heart, and you said this was your favorite. Well, one of my favorite announcements was the actual Amazon Bracket service, which is actually our quantum computing service, Shane, and it's uh, not something that everyone talks about just yet, but uh, to demystify quantum computing just for a moment, um, so quantum computing operates in a really interesting space. Um, you know, most classical computers operate in either ones and zeros, so they're binary. Uh, but quantum computers actually operate with something called qubits, and qubits are, in, are either one, a zero, or in between, right? And the, the reason why you properly want to use them is if you want to do any kind of simulations of the real world, if you think about how atoms bond together, um, and you know, it's often because of the electrons for providing. Uh, you know, that, that close connectivity between the atoms. If you wanted to find out where the electron happens to be at around a particular atom, it's very hard to do that. Um, so that has implications for how things bond together, chemical reactions, how uh, uh, pharmaceutical drugs actually interact, or how paints uh, and colors work together. All of these things are really hard things to do computation around, but quantum computing is actually uh, really good at this stuff. And uh, at the moment, when you think about quantum computing, uh, you know, these things are a little bit niche, uh, but you know, quantum computers actually operate in a very interesting realm because they operate at you know, the quantum mechanics level. Uh, and basically, quantum computers are not really that stable in terms of handling those bits. So error correction uh, is a bit of a challenge for them to make sure that once you've got a calculation, it stays that way. Uh, and there's a lot of noise that these things are actually exposed to. So you think about memory and uh, CRC checks and parity on, on memory boards and so forth, on traditional classic computers. Yeah, quantum computers have a bit of a hard time um, being able to deal with those. So yes, Amazon Bracket Chain is a pr pretty cool new service. Awesome. Um, let's get our qubits on. All right. So look, it's a it's a fully managed service that makes it really easy for uh, scientists, researchers, and developers to really build, test, and uh, run quantum computing algorithms. Right. So think of SageMaker, uh, how we de um, democratized uh, AI. Think of now us democratizing the quantum computing world. So it's pretty pretty cool. Um, now what this lets you do. Uh, and by the way, Amazon Bracket. 
Uh, the name comes from uh, <laughs> uh, bracket notation, which is a common notation for quantum states. So uh, for those of you who are wondering why we picked that name and not Amazon Quantum or something like that, uh, well, we actually already have Amazon uh, Quantum Ledger, which is a bit of a name clash, if you like. It's got nothing to do with quantum computing. Uh, it's got everything to do with, uh, with ledgers and so forth. Uh, but I digress. Uh, so when you use Amazon Bracket, um, you d design your algorithms, you get to test them. Uh, and if you really want to go one step further, you can actually have those algorithms run uh, on real uh, QCPUs or quantum computing processing units uh, from our partners like D-Wave, IonQ, or Rigetti. Uh, so it's a very impressive uh, new offering to our compute platform, Shane. Very cool. Not just black and white or ones and zeros here. All right. You thought that was Big Pete. And I know you still keep your finger on the, on the pulse and try to get at the customers as much as possible. But if there was one technology buzzword of 2019, what do you think it would be? I think it's been for more than just one year. It's been containers, 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 and more containers. Well, getting warmer... Specifically? Uh, maybe Kubernetes and containers. Bingo, right. Straight to the point <laughs> here. So Fargate is now available for EKS, so Elastic Service. And customers love Fargate. You know, and for new customers, 40% of them start with Fargate as they only want to manage containers at the task level. We started with ECS for Fargate because you know we control everything here. But customers kept asking and we're excited to launch Fargate for EKS. And here it is, same benefits as Fargate for ECS. So Fargate for EKS provides an on-demand right-sized compute capacity for running your containers uh, that run as Kubernetes pods uh, as part of the EKS cluster. And when using Fargate, um, Kubernetes pods run with just the same compute capacity they requested, and each pod runs in its own VM-isolated environment without sharing resources with any other pods. Now, it's not quite available everywhere yet, but for now, it's in US East Virginia, US... East Ohio, uh, Ireland, and Asia-Pacific Tokyo regions. Great. All right, moving on. Okay, so announced last year at reInvent, and again, born out of Annapurna Labs, wow, they do some good stuff there, is a new instance mm -hmm. type that has some custom silicon, so an ASIC, all designed for what is becoming a common workload, you know, and that's ML, and part of that being inference. Don't know what inference is? See the recording we did yesterday, episode 61, in which Pete explains the difference between inference and training. These chips are like an accelerator. They aren't a general purpose CPU. They're kind of a, a custom processing unit. Uh, and they are coupled with Intel Xeons and 100 gigabit networking you know, instances on the uh, Inf1 instance family. Nothing like a dedicated processor to do the job. You know, it reminds me of the 3DFX or even going further back, like a coprocessor, you know, the SX for the 386 and 486, you know, SX mm. DX. There we go. You know, trying to add a bit That's of going back a while. It is going back a while. Right? That were fun times. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what Infrentia enabled is the Inf1 to deliver up to 3x higher throughput and up to 40% lower cost per inference than an Amazon EC2 G4, you know, which were already low cost instances for machine learning inference available in AWS. And yes, you can find them today in US East Northern Virginia and US West Oregon. So go check it out. Scale up or scale out, Pete? Obviously, you want to scale out wherever possible, um, other than, you know, for many reasons relating to high availability. But if you are in the container game, you can now use Spot for Fargate, which is pretty cool. Fargate Spot is a new option to run fault-tolerant scale-out applications on Fargate. It's uh, Spot, so it means that you can save up to 70% uh, 
um, discounted rate compared to Fargate prices. Yeah, and look, the call out here is whilst it's Fargate spot, it's only available on ECS at this stage. And this goes back to the call out, you know, that Andy made around the deeper integration with ECS versus EKS. I would imagine we'll get there, but at this stage, it is purely an ECS affair. ECS task running on Fargate spot leverage our spare compute capacity. When we need the capacity back, ECS tasks will be interrupted and you'll get the usual two-minute notification. So scaling out, you mentioned. Uh, so Fargate spot is ideal for fault-tolerant use cases, such as you know big data, but it also works well for CI-CD pipelines and also many batch processing applications. Um, and the good news is it's available in all regions. AWS Fargate is supported. Awesome. So based on my past, prior to joining AWS, absolutely some workloads need to run on premises. You know, it's pretty hard to escape that. You know, manufacturing often in rural locations, you know, outside metro cities, connectivity is nowhere near the speed it needs to be. You know, there's latency. These systems often, you know, are doing things like MES or manufacturing execution systems or SCADA, that's supervisory control and data acquisition systems. And they need to run really close to the factory floor equipment. You know, talking like automated forklifts driving around, et cetera. And then there's even medical systems that have strict data regulations requiring data to be kept on premises. So we now have a solution for this, Pete. We do, and it isn't Snowball Edge, which is one way of dealing with this. Uh, we have now gone GA with Outposts that we actually um, named last year. So it's available now. Uh, so AWS Outpost is ideal for these sort of workloads and scenarios that need low latency access to on-premises applications, uh, systems for local processing, and to really be secure and store sensitive information that's encrypted as well, uh, that needs to be you know, close to where computation is and uh, when there is no AWS region uh, close enough to it or connectivity is really you know, uh, limited as well. So uh, perhaps you know, having it sitting inside your uh, company's data center or environments is, uh, is a solution. It comes in two flavors, so AWS, Flavor and the VMware control planes, uh, with the VMware being available in mid-2020. At the moment, it's available in the US, in the European Union, the UK, Switzerland, Australia, Japan, and South Korea, Shane. My question, Pete, is are we going to get one for the office? Food for thought for you. I'm going to plant that seed and just, you know, walk away here. Well, you know what? Maybe you don't have to. Maybe I'm already working on it. Mm. Ooh, excellent. I can't wait to have a play. Here's a bit of an interesting one to follow up. And I'm not going to talk about outposts here, but imagine you want an AWS experience that needs to be local, but you don't want to manage an outpost and you require single digit millisecond latency. What do you do? Well, we now have a solution. It's called AWS Local Zone, Shane, and and Jesse also announced it as well. Um, And the idea of an AWS Local Zone is that it's a new type of AWS deployment model that places our services close to a large population. Right, so it's based on outposts, and each AWS local zone location is an extension of an AWS region where customers can run their latency-sensitive applications using AWS services like EC2, you know, have support around VPCs, EBS volumes, even EFS, and load balancing, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and look, realistically, it's an AWS outpost, but rather than shipping it to your data center, you know, you powering it and managing it to a degree, we will manage this on your behalf. It's available by invitation only, and the first local zone is Los Angeles, California in the United States. Watch your space. I think it's a really exciting shame because it just opens up the door to so many other opportunities. Yeah. So look, not an update for the masses here, but it's pretty interesting. Tell us about Wavelength, Pete. So this is kind of building on the edge, right? So think of 5G, the 5G telco networks. Uh, these are being rolled out worldwide as we speak. 
Um, and it's going to be a huge jump in terms of performance and a real game changer for the communications industry. So think about having a 10 gigabit connection to your handset with a single digit millisecond uh, access to a network. Wouldn't that be a great game changer? You know, I'm going to interrupt. I'll say it would be. I was thinking about that. So 10 gigabit mm. to your handset. Mm. Do devices have the I.O. to be able to deal with that? Like 10 gigabit, that is a phenomenal amount of speed. I know 5G will be 10 gigabit. We had Verizon on stage talking, you know, their network is 1.2 gigabits at 5G at the moment. But even that is, it's phenomenal 5G. And look, but if you have, if you have your laptop, um, you know, on a 5G network, and uh, 5G is more than just... Uh, the next generation network, it has so many things like software-defined components in the OSI stack. Uh, it's great for low-power devices. It's also great for high-speed devices. Uh, it is a really a Swiss army knife of the next evolution of uh, wireless telecommunications. All right, so I digress here. Tell us about Wavelength. All right, so I think it's a real game changer. <laughs> uh, so Wavelength um, sees us deploying our infrastructure into telco providers' 5G edges. Now, we push out compute and storage to the edge, allowing you, the builders, to deliver applications that require ultra-low latency, such as games, live video streaming, even machine learning and inference at the edge, uh, even things like augmented reality and virtual reality coming that way. So at the moment, um, we've been working with Verizon in the US just for now, uh, and we're going to be rolling this out with other telcos globally. So I think this is going to be a really interesting way of extending your applications, reducing latency, um, and having even more compute Okay, here's an update not spoken by Andy Jassy, but one to quickly talk about as after all, this is a show for the builders. We love serverless and we love event-driven architectures. We actually did a show on event-driven architectures not too far ago. But, you know, they can often suffer from things like cold starts, you know, that first hit penalty or can take seconds to scale, you know, for bursty large workloads when, you need to, when we need to scale more containers under the hood to invoke the concurrent number of connections required. So provision concurrency gives you uh, another dial to tweak with Lambda. Uh, now, when you enable this, provision concurrency keeps functions initialized and hyper-ready to respond in you know, double-digit milliseconds. You can now control when and how long to enable provision concurrency and the amount of concurrency that they configure uh, for each function, uh, version, and per alias, which is great. Use cases here are latency-sensitive applications and applications that you know need to support high-velocity traffic bursts or where you need, need a more consistent and tighter performance of your Lambda functions. Now, it's not available in all regions, but the majority are listed. So check the do documentation for further information on availability. Moving on to a couple of S3 updates, and unlike the past few, these are applicable to almost all customers. And personally, it's a real welcome here. It makes what is already a good product, S3, into something even better. So the first one I want to... And what is that, Shane? What are you talking about here? Okay, the first one I want to talk about is Access Analyzer for S3. So, you know, you've got IAM policies, bucket policies. They can be a bit complex and can sometimes be hard to get a grasp of what the effective access level to an object will be. Exactly. And that's where Access Analyzer for S3 comes in. It's a new feature of S3 that monitors your access policies and ensures that the policies provide only the intended access uh, to the S3 resources. So Access Analyzer for S3 alerts you also when a bucket is configured to allow access to anyone on the internet or that is being shared with another AWS account. Uh, you receive insights or rather findings into the source and the level of public or shared access, which is really cool. And so, for example, um, X Analyzer will proactively inform customers if uh, read or write access were unintendedly provided through an uh, access control list or an ACL or a bucket policy, 
And with these insights, customers can immediately set or restore the intended access policies for their buckets. Okay, so findings are available in the S3 console, so not CloudWatch, but they're also available via the S3 API. Now, this feature is available in all commercial AWS regions, excluding AWS China Beijing region and the AWS China Ningxia region. So there's another update here around S3 access points. So here's an update that Andy spent quite a bit of time and he framed it around data lakes where you may want to restrict an application to a specific bucket. You know, you might, for example, have PII data in a bucket and this is not something that you want other, you know, parts of the organization to access. And it's been a bit of a challenge to, you know, lock this down in the past at scale. So introducing S3 access points. Um, And this addresses the pain points you just described, Shane. It really is a way to manage access to shared data sets which are stored uh, in an Amazon S3 bucket at scale. So you can assign every application that has an access, a single S3 bucket, give it an access point, the unique name, and access permissions, right? So this is where you get fine-grained controls. um, And you can add and remove uh, access points at will as your application sets grow, and as your storage also scales. So the S3 access uh, points also provide controls to limit bucket access from um, two VPCs, ensuring data never leaves your VPC. So you can actually lock it down to that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and look, the last point I think is really important, you know, as it can prevent data exfiltration. So it's a really good update here that I know we'll cover in the future. And just like the previous S3 update, this is available in all commercial regions, excluding AWS China Beijing and AWS China Ningxia regions. All right, so lots of SageMaker updates here. Are you ready, Pete? I am, I think. <laughs> Look, there's uh, six to be exact. And uh, and to articulate how much we are invested in the ML space, we're going to jump through a couple of these. So let's start off at the very top. Okay, end. so let's start with SageMaker Studio. I think that's an obvious place to start. So it's your mm. machine learning IDE in the cloud, simply put. So it's going to help drive down the complexity of ML by bringing together and augmenting all your ML tools with the first fully IDE for ML that you can use to complete your entire machine learning workflow. Indeed. So SageMaker Studio provides a really a single web-based visual interface where you can perform all of your ML uh, deployment steps. So Studio gives you a complete access, control, and visibility into each step required to build, train, and deploy your models. And you know many of you probably would have been using Jupyter. This is way, way cooler than that. Uh, there's a ton you can do here. You can um, upload data, create new notebooks, train and tune your models, uh, move things back and forth between steps to adjust your experiments. You, know, you can compare your results. And also, when you think about you know, when you deploy your models, it's also about deploying to production all in the one single place, making you know uh, your life a lot more productive, right? So all of the ML deployment activities, including your notebooks, experiment management, automatic model creation, debugging, profiling, you know, and also things like model drift detection can be performed within the uh, unified you know, SageMaker Studio visual interface. Is this the new VS Code of machine learning? Time will tell. Oh, yes, indeed. Okay, so look, Jupyter Notebooks have become a staple for almost all machine learning practitioners. You know, it, this does this update, what it says on the sticker. So we're talking about SageMaker Notebooks. It's a Jupyter Notebook that customers can start working with within seconds. So it's in preview now, which you can sign up for. And Jupyter Notebooks are a one-click away that you can use within seconds. So the underlying compute resources are fully elastic, so you can easily dial up or down the available resources, and the changes take place automatically in the background without interrupting your work. So another cool call-out is that uh, we enabled 
uh, one-click sharing of notebooks as well. So all the code dependencies are automatically captured so that you can easily collaborate with others because that's been a big ask from many customers. You know, It's great when you have one lonely uh, you know, experiment running on someone's notebook, but if you want to share this amongst a team, um, you know, that has been a bit, of a, a bit of a challenge in the past. So still a SageMaker, Shane. Um, the idea of a concept drift is one that is a big factor that can actually affect the accuracy of your deployed models. Uh, and it's when the data being used to generate prediction differs from the data used to train the model. Uh, so this, this is called concept drift, whereby the patterns that the model used to make the predictions no longer apply. One of the fundamentals you use in training just may not apply now. So SageMaker Model Monitor automatically detects concept drift in deploy models and provides detailed alerts that help identify the source of the problem. SageMaker Model Monitor alerts you when drift is detected and helps you visually identify the root cause. You can use this in its out-of-the-box features to detect drift right away, or you can write your own rules for Model Monitor to monitor with a tongue twister. Pretty cool. Yes, and look, this is a this is a real big problem, right? So this is going to be a great way to actually help you detect those drifts. Yeah, and look, this is a cool one. Not being an ML guru myself, this one excites me. It's putting ML in the hands of us, you know, less gifted ML practitioners. The proof will be in the pudding on how well this works, but introducing SageMaker Autopilot. And what I like about this, Pete, is it's not just a black box like most of these, you know, autopilot solutions are. Yes, so correct. So typical approaches to... Uh, Automated machine learning, so AutoML uh, is also another name people often refer to this idea. Uh, these learnings do not give you insights into the data uh, used in creating of the model or the logic that went into creating the model itself. So Autopilot automatically inspects the raw data to which you have, uh, you have you actually provided and uploaded. Uh, it applies feature processes, picks the best set of algorithms, uh, runs and tunes multiple models, uh, tracks the performance, and then ranks the models based on the performance, all with just a few clicks. So if you want more detail on this, you can dive into the opaque box to see how it comes to conclusions that it comes up with. But fundamentally, think of it as have data, don't have much time. I just want to have a very quick and dirty uh, and super fast way of coming up with a model. Uh, what's the best one to use? Uh, SageMaker Autopilot it will be there for you to help you get that. Bit of an interesting one here, born out of the inner workings of Amazon, just like a few of our much-loved services such as Amazon Connect. I'm talking about Amazon Code Guru, which is in preview, and it's a machine learning service for automated code reviews and application performance recommendations. And look, it has two distinct areas here. Now, it helps customers to find the most uh, expensive lines of code that hurt application performance, and also... Uh, uh, you know, those things may be keeping up, you know, trying to debug and troubleshoot. Uh, and it also give you the specific recommendations on how to fix or improve your code uh, with comments that actually make sense. As I said, it was born out of Amazon. So Code Guru is powered by machine learning. So best practices, all the hard learned lessons across millions of code reviews and thousands of applications profiled on GitHub and internally at Amazon. Yeah, and look, it detects deviations from, you know, typical best practices for using AWS APIs and our SDKs. Uh, it flags common issues that can lead to production issues, such as detec detection of missing um, pagination or error handling with batch operations. Uh, it detects concurrency issues, such as atomicity violations and the use of classes that are not thread safe, uh, which are often difficult to find, by the way, uh, for even those most experienced developers. Uh, it also detects when resources are incorrectly closed, creating latency issues and potential outages in code. So you consume it with on-demand pricing. It talks to code commit and Git-based repos. So CodeGuru right now supports Java applications as it stands with more supported languages coming soon. And finally, on the production front, it has a runtime profiler that 
is always uh, watching and searching for application performance optimizations. Uh, it tries to identify the most expensive lines of code uh, and also makes recommendations on ways to fix them to reduce CPU utilizations, um, you know, to reduce co uh, compute costs, and also improve application performance overall. Yeah, look, we like good hygiene on TechChat, and CodeGuru is going to help you catch problems faster and earlier so you can build and run better software. If you're a Java shop, worth a look. So CodeGuru is available in US East, North Virginia, US East, Ohio, US West, Oregon, EU Island and Asia Pacific Sydney. Shane, this could be an idea, by the way. You know, I wonder if there's a tech chat guru, you know, for podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if you put something through a through a, an ML model? We'd be done. <laughs> are we good? Or are we not good? All right, improve here. <laughs> Recut, redo. That would be good. All right, shall we? Let's continue. It, let's let's keep going. Let's talk about some let's, fraud. Let's detection. talk about fraud. Okay, so so fraud is becoming an issue in society. You know, just like we've got real time block lists for SMTP and various other reputation services, the same thing goes with fraud. You know, tens of billions of dollars each year are being lost to fraud. And fraud detection systems, you know, they're typically expensive, they're clunky, they don't scale very well because, you know, they're a black box. And what we realized in 20 years of doing business at Amazon, machine learning is really helpful. And today we're launching a new service. Amazon Fraud Detector, which is a new ML service that makes it easy for you to um, identify potentially fraudulent online activities such as online payment fraud, creation of fake accounts. So if you are running an online system, which I'm guessing many of uh, our listeners are, Shane, uh, you know, this is going to be an immense help whereby you send us your, your data and perhaps even your IP address um, through an API and we'll actually provide you with a fraud score that you can integrate into your systems. Now, it's, this, uh, it's available... Uh, to be used and it's able to distinguish against many different scenarios and you can find the endpoint in IAD or US East One. So moving on, uh, you know, you just mentioned Amazon Connect uh, was born out of Amazon. Um, well, it's been very popular in Australia in particular and also around the world. So it's really a disruptive uh, way of actually, you know, uh, going to a call center, one of the customer experiences uh, for dealing with your organizations and actually uh, uh, re-energize and reinvent your customer experience through telephony. Yeah, look, it's absolutely been a bit of a game changer, but I often get asked, you know, how do we extend it? Can you provide, you know, call sentiment analysis, text extraction, maybe with speaker detection? And I say, sure, you know, use a bit of Lambda, use a bit of Textract, comprehend Elasticsearch. Some people say, sure, and, you know, and they just get straight onto it. But for a lot of organizations, it's hard. You know, they may not have the builders to make this happen. That's right, Shane. It's the reality that there is actually a learning curve, and this is where contact lens for Amazon Connect comes in. So what the service does, it has a set of machine learning capabilities integrated into Connect, um, uh, which, will be, which will give you the ability to actually understand the sentiment, the trend, and the compliance risk of customer conversations to effectively train your agents, uh, replicate successful interactions with customers, and to also identify crucial company and product feedback. But the best part of this is to set it up. It's really simple. With just one single click and in minutes in total to set up, you can start using the ML-powered analytics to discover deep customer insights uh, from your customer centers. So the bad news for our local customers, it's only available in US East 1 and US West 2 for now and other regions have to follow. And uh, for those Aussies down here who love Connect, um, we're working hard to bring it down under. For this one, Pete, I'm going to need you to drive and I'll play second fiddle as it's something I don't have any first-hand experience in my 20 years in this field. It's not something I've ever had to support, and that is Cassandra. Tell us about your Cassandra experience, Pete. 
Well, I've had the pleasure when I actually joined AWS to not know anything about it, Cassandra, and then I met a cool startup. Unfortunately, they're not here anymore. Uh, and they were running a, uh, a very large 20-node Cassandra uh, cluster uh, back seven years ago. So that was pretty, pretty, pretty substantial <laughs> by our standards. So I've had to dabble with that. So um, now I know you did databases uh, with uh, Gabe in a past episode uh, covering some of this. Uh, so um, there's a whole bunch of things we can talk about databases. But customers have been asking us, uh, just like with Elasticsearch and Kubernetes, uh, and we've been asking us to actually, can we actually help them with some of the heavy lifting? So I'm pleased to say that um, AWS has now got a managed Apache Cassandra service. Now, it's often challenging to set up Cassandra as you got to set up replications and so forth, a number of nodes. Um, and this service now removes a lot of the heavy lifting as an administrator and as well as, a, I guess, a, an administrator of the database that's actually held inside Cassandra. Yeah, and look, the offering is version 3.11 compatible. Sounds like Windows here, Pete. Just joking. Mm, that's going back consent. a while. <laughs> that's going back a while, maybe with my 386SX. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, so, look, that's Cassandra 3.11 compatible. So, there's no clusters to manage, a single digit millisecond performance at any scale. And you can use the same Cassandra tooling for easy migration, integration with VPC, CloudWatch, KMS, etc. It's in preview and can be found in US East, North Virginia, US East, Ohio, EMEA, Stockholm, Asia Pacific, Singapore, and Asia Pacific, Tokyo. So Shane, can we talk about databases? Let's talk about Amazon Redshift for a second. Let's do that. So decoupling by nature allows your architecture to independently scale on multiple dimensions. You know, It's a good thing to do in practice, and this release follows this ethos. So Redshift is one of our most popular services. But how do you scale cost-effectively your data warehouse when Redshift comes in predefined Lego blocks? Well, this is where we go introduce the RA3 instance types with managed storage, which separates compute and storage, allowing you to actually scale and pay for compute and storage independently of those two things. And what's, which is really good. Yeah, and what's cool about these instances again is Nitro. You know, building on our investment. You know, here's how this magic happens. So these RA3 instances use local NVMe SSD, so direct attached storage, in each Redshift RA3 instance. You know, for fast local storage, and Amazon S3 for longer term durable storage. If the data in an instance grows beyond the size of the local store, it's automatically offloaded to S3. And these instances. You know, again, built on Nitro, have high bandwidth networking to S3, and the load time from S3 is minimized because of the 100 gig network interface. And again, you know, it's just a foundational piece of work that initially may not have had you know, an immediate benefit, but it's paying big dividends. And by that, once again, I mean Nitro. And look, we're talking a lot about caching and pre-warming, and there's another cool announcement uh, uh, that I, I want you to talk about too. It is Elasticsearch. Hang on, we've already got Elasticsearch. This is ultra warm for Elasticsearch. So Elasticsearch is a staple almost everywhere. And since we launched Amazon Elasticsearch, it's been growing realistically like a weed. You know, tens of thousands of customers around the world. But, you know, there are challenges. And the main issue that we see with Elasticsearch is the file format is optimized for search and not for storage. It's pretty inefficient. And this limits how much you can store. I had a customer, you know, reach out to me already because of this announcement, Pete. They want to store 12 months of data, but today they can only store a week's worth of log data in a cost-effective manner. And look, we're solving this dilemma with the new service called Ultra Warm for Amazon Elasticsearch. And Altrum is a performance optimized, really, you know, it's a warm storage tier for Elasticsearch service. It complements the existing Elasticsearch hot storage tier by providing less expensive storage for older and less frequently accessed data. 
while still providing an, you know, an interactive and analytic experience that hopefully uh, your customer can get benefit out yeah, of. Yeah, and look, UltraWarm will allow customers to achieve up to 90% cost savings. UltraWarm stores data in Amazon S3 whilst using you know, a custom, highly optimized node for cache prefetch and query for that data. This enables customers to store data at nearly one-ninth of the cost of existing elastic storage, storage tiers, whilst providing the durability and maintaining the interactive analytics experience. Yes, and look, you can tell a customer this approach will allow them to store up to three petabytes of data, right? So retaining up to three petabytes of log data uh, with a single Amazon Elasticsearch cluster, uh, which is a lot, by the way, and with the ability to actually query across multiple clusters that the customers can actually run. So basically virtually run, you know, almost unlimited yeah, amount of data. based on S3. It's really cool. And I think it's going to be super popular. Today, it's only available in US East, North Virginia, Ohio, and US West, Oregon. Pete, I think it's time to take a breath here because we've been going pretty fast. We're done covering the main keynote that was reInvent 2019. Wow, and there's still more, right? And there's heaps more. A lot to summarize here. So Tuesday, main keynote 2019 with Andy Jassy. We started the show with a new range of ARM-based processors based on our new ARM chip. So we've got the M6G, the C6G, and the R6G. As Pete mentioned earlier, you know, look for the G suffix, making, again, you know, that price to performance ratio even more attractive. Fargate has made its way to EKS, so you can now launch EKS containers as a Fargate launch type. It's cool. And we have the new EC2 instance for inference, the EC2 INF1, powered by our own custom silicon inferential chips. So Spot has made its way to Fargate as well, but only for EC assessment now. Um, Outpost has gone globally available. So if you need a hybrid cloud uh, to get the same AWS feeling on-premises as you do in the cloud, you can get it now. Uh, It's flavored with um, the AWS um, uh, look and feel and the VMware version of Outpost will be available in mid-2020. And if you don't want to manage your own Outpost, you can also get a local version called a local zone. This is by invitation only for now. And the first local zone is available in LA, California. And finally, uh, there's also Wavelength, which brings uh, local compute to the 5G edge network for telcos. And Lambda provision capacity, so ensuring cold starts and sudden traffic spikes don't impact latent-sensitive operations. There was multiple S3 updates with S3 endpoints and the S3 access advisor. There was a lot of SageMaker updates here. So we've got SageMaker Studio, you know, your ML IDE in the cloud. We've got SageMaker Notebooks, bringing one-click Jupyter Notebooks to you. The SageMaker Model Monitor, which automatically detects concept drift in deployed models. SageMaker Autopilot automatically creates your ML models, but with transparency. And we also announced CodeGuru, which is a machine learning service for automated code reviews and application performance recommendations. So it's sort of like having uh, your most senior developer sitting side by side watching you watching your code. Um, we also announced Amazon Fraud Detector, which is a new ML service that makes it easy to identify potentially fraudulent online activities such as online payment fraud, creation of fake accounts for your e-commerce sites. Contact lens for Amazon Connect, you know, really bulking out Connect's capabilities, allowing you to understand the sentiment, trends, and compliance risks of customer conversations to effectively train agents and identify crucial company and product feedback. And we now have Manage Apache Cassandra service, yay, which is based on version 3.11. You can decouple storage and compute and scale independently uh, your Redshift uh, clusters with the RA3 instances for Redshift 
And finally, Ultra Warm is a performance-optimized warm storage tier for Amazon Elasticsearch. It complements the existing Elasticsearch hot storage tier by providing less expensive storage for older and less frequently accessed data, while still providing a, an interactive analytics experience, allowing up to three petabytes per cluster. Shame. Yes, so today's show was epic. And now I know we skimmed these quickly, but when the dust settles, we'll have plenty to dive deeper on. So listeners, if there was something here you know, that tickled your fancy today and you want to know more, please drop us a message AWS tech chat at amazon.com as your messages do drive the direction of the show. Pete, once again, thank you for your time today. I know time zones can be a little bit tricky, but I do believe I'll be in person tomorrow recording with Gabe. So it'll be a little bit different. Yes, look, I'll, I'll miss that episode, but I'm looking forward to uh, more and more announcements. And guys, we hope we've helped you to uh, um, get across many of the announcements and uh, hopefully we did a decent job curating it and fitting it into 60 minutes. There we go. And listeners, for those who couldn't make it the reInvent, which I know there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people here, but you know, there's a lot of people who use AWS. Sessions are already starting to make their way to YouTube. So head on over to the AWS channel. That session maybe that you couldn't attend, maybe they're already. So until next time, we should hopefully again be another 24 to 48 hours. Bye from Las Vegas at reInvent 2019. And I hope you're enjoying the virtual uh, updates from us. Take care and uh, talk to you guys soon. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com.